Hello, everyone. This is Chatisfaction. This is a good show. It's the best show. I'm glad, I'm glad you're here, because I'm Keith. His name's that Keith. Is Sam. And he lives in Colorado. I live in Virginia. Yeah, it's like we're from two different worlds. How do we make it sound like we're talking in the same room? Magic. We fly back and f- magic. It's fucking magic. That's what it is. Um, cool. So, like last week, I've been lazy, and there are things I want to talk about, but I haven't done nearly the amount of research that I would need to to sound like a sane person talking about these things. But um, eventually, Sam, if you'd like to go down the rabbit hole with me one day, I want to talk about uh, some transgender stuff. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I think there is, it, it's definitely an interesting time for them. It's kind of their moment for their like civil rights moment. Like in the sixties, it was black people trying to like fight for fairness in America. And I would argue they're still trying to fight for fairness in America. I think and that's fair. Not too long ago, it was uh, just like homosexuals were doing it and they're like, mostly accepted like same-sex marriage is federal law and i think that's pretty huge we're yeah we're getting there and that's like nobody nobody's quite there yet but i i do agree i feel like i I, as far as like the civil rights movements i agree it feels as though uh transgender folks are uh or it's kind of the next swing yeah they're Um, fighting for like bathroom bills and, and just in general just being accepted as a norm right um and i i definitely would say uh you know there's there's a lot of caveats to all of this but you know i think like gay people are still fighting similar fights i mean that the bathroom bill like that's there's the bathroom bill for transgender but then there's like what hb1 um that lets or hb1 is a bathroom bill i think i can't remember mm-hmm. one of the bills there's there's a bill in either north or south carolina that like companies can just refuse people because they're gay. Um, and there's stuff like that too. Like I, there's still a lot of, uh, ground to cover, I think, uh, for, for, for just, just gay people. Um, and then transgendered, it's even an even larger, larger gap. Yeah. Um, I, but, I, uh, and not only that, but, um, there are there are like big caveats to talk about because I think one of the things, first of all, like the bathroom bill is just it doesn't make sense to me because why do we even segregate bathrooms still anyway? It just seems weird. Like we don't it, if you just switched men and women at the bathrooms and to see to just black and white, it looks exactly the same as like nineteen forties fifties America when things are segregated. I don't know if I'd agree with that. I mean, there's in general, I think, uh, there is a degree of vulnerability in the bathroom. Like we, you and I can't know what it's like to be uh, a woman. Uh, the other day, like Tessa was telling me, she saw some guy, this car broke down, like right in front of our house as she was leaving. And I was like, why didn't you stop and help him? And then she like, didn't have the best answer. I was like, Oh, because, you're a woman alone with a dude. Like it's just a terrifying place to be, but it's not a concern we have to have. Like 
I, I it's like we genuinely don't think about it unless we're in a super clearly unsafe situation like most women are almost always in sort of unsafe situations and that's you know that's a broad statement obviously but that's and I think that that's I, I, so I don't I don't know if I agree that they don't need to be separate um I think I think there's benefit in them being separate just because you know going in somewhere and taking your pants off is a vulnerable thing to do and I think in general, it's nice to have a spot for them to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, we still in which there are dudes with a lot of type of stuff. Yeah, but I, I do just... think uh, I, I think that the transphobia in bathrooms is absurd because, uh, like, yeah, I just think it's I just think it's absurd for all the obvious reasons. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, that, that's like I, well, it's. The, it's hard to even break down because it's just ridiculous to me. Um, well, the things that they claim that they're afraid of is like, well, what if the trans person is just trying to like pet ass some kids? And it's like, well, when have you ever heard of that? What cases like bring up a specific case in which these things have happened? And or like, I, like females are more than capable of uh, being pedophiles. Yeah. Towards uh, towards little girls, like yeah, men are. Most the most common pedophilia you hear about is older men and younger boys, which they're allowed in the same bathrooms already anyway. Like, yeah, it's it's there's all these things like there, you know, there's never been any uh, largely public issue with gay men being allowed in uh, in male bathrooms and gay women being allowed in female bathrooms, even though those people are actually attracted to the people in the bathroom with them where with transgender there's such a spectrum that there's no you know they just want to go where they're comfortable like it's i don't know it's it's so complicated um or it it, it seems so complicated to me this seems like the first the first one of these civil rights movements where to me it's it isn't super cut and dry because the deeper you get into it the more complicated it gets um and uh, just to like, just in case this isn't apparent, like you know, if if I say anything in this, and I think I can speak for you too, like we're we are making no attempts to offend anyone, and yeah. if I feel like if I say anything offensive, it more is comes from a point of ignorance than anything else. Um, these are not yeah. unwavering opinions of mine; these are just my sort of off the cuff opinions. Yeah, um, real off the cuff, and it's just, and it does come from a, a point of like like you said like we generally as straight white males in america we don't have we do not deal with nearly the amount of stuff that other people deal with like like black americans and even just women because that's that's something i don't think about either is like i think my girlfriend was telling me about how she went out with some friends uh, like a friday night just just around town drinking and stuff and just in general there is there's threats like she she'll point out men that just look threatening to her and everyone's out drinking and men are stupid when they're when they get drunk and do dumb shit and she she's a smaller woman like she can be overpowered really easily by any of these men um and that's just something that like i do not think about when i go out like um there is that extra layer of of things that like you and i we just don't so we're talking from a perspective that probably no one would give any uh authority to i guess 
but yeah, and we have no authority. I mean, yeah, um, but that's that's the point. Is we just we just start talking about it. But but you know, I think you and I are both kind of trying to come at it from a positive and progressive perspective. Um, and I, I need to do like more research, but just kind of the, the one thing that is a gray area is uh, transgenders in sports, like athletic competitions. Um, and I, I always thought about this because there's an MMA fighter that was a man who transitioned into a woman and didn't tell anyone and no one knew for years. And she was destroying every woman she came up against. Right. Um, and it just was seemingly unfair. And I think that it is because genetically, I mean, if we're, we're talking like bare bones genetics here, like men are just made stronger than women. It's not to say that there are not women who are stronger than some men. There definitely are like, there's not you and I, I mean, you and I are stronger than every woman. It's true. We put it to the test. It would beat the shit out of so many women. Uh, <laughs> but generally speaking, if, if they were born and conditioned under the same regimen, and if they're like the same height, same weight and everything, and had the same workout routine and ate the same stuff, like the man is probably going to be, I'm not saying every time, but most likely he will be stronger still just because he's genetically predisposed to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like you tiptoed around it a a little bit like too much. I mean, there is a biological difference between men and women. There are, there is of course a spectrum to all of it. There are plenty of women stronger than men, but biologically I agree. Um, but here's, I don't don't think there's anything controversial in saying that. No, not, I don't believe so either. Um, I, yeah. Um, here's a here's a thought that I don't think will ever gain any traction um, mm-hmm. to the, a solution to that problem, and it's that we stop having men's sports and women's sports, and we just have divisions. Like, and it's it's ability based. And so you know, if you're super kick ass, uh, you know, I feel like if we have an ability based, and then I don't know. I mean, that's there's already is that within the men, man and woman sports. There's different degrees of talent, um, and I feel like, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I guess you need right now. It seems like you need female versions of sports so that they aren't just all overrun with men. Because, like we were saying, men in general are stronger. Like, if you just had, you know top level basketball and then just under top level basketball, like it would still have, you know, it wouldn't just be women in there. It would, it would be all of the, you know, male athletes that can't cut it in the top level. And then women that, that can hit that level too. Like, so I don't know if that's the right answer. Maybe that's a stupid answer because it still wouldn't like, in general, I feel like they, they wouldn't have the same place to shine and it would fragment too much. And so people wouldn't watch it. I don't know. It's hard for me too. Cause I don't give a shit about sports. I don't like watching sports really. And yeah. so like, I do understand that concern. Uh, but I don't, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that one. 
Yeah, um, and so like like another example was there was a transgender boy who was a, a girl who transitioned into a boy who was uh, competing in high school for and wrestling. Um, and whatever whatever like law it was, it said that you had to compete as whatever gender was on your birth certificate. So originally was a girl and is competing with girls as a boy now and he's been taking like testosterone and stuff right uh and so that is kind of like i think that having that testosterone in your system and like he destroyed all his competition too uh because they're all girls and none of them have testosterone in even though it says that he was taking lower doses to be fair to his opponents it's still it, it is an upper edge that you have there's like a new there's a real nuanced discussion that needs to happen here um and I think that that's like the only point and like the bathroom stuff is, is like, I mean, like I personally don't care. It's like just pee wherever. Like, obviously if I'm, if I'm championing a, just the unisex bathroom all around, like I just don't care. But with this, this co- athletic competition stuff, and especially if you think about like, what about the Olympics, you know, like what do we do then? Uh, there's a nuanced discussion that needs to take place and, I don't know what, what the answer is here, but my my solution for uh, the bathroom argument um, is aside from just it's not a big deal. Who cares? Um, yeah. My solution that isn't that is have a third private bathroom for people that are afraid of transgender people to use, like. Yeah. And I think that the other argument has been made of like, why don't we have a private bathroom for the transgendered people? But I think that's a hundred percent the wrong answer. Like the point isn't to make them do something different. The point is that if some jack off is uncomfortable with uh, a transgender person using their public restroom, if they're uncomfortable at the, at the idea of it, then uh, they should just go use this private bathroom. Yeah. Um, I think at this point there's a higher uh, there's a higher rate of I, I think there's a higher rate of danger for transgender people going into whatever bathroom you choose of like belligerent drunk people who are like bigots probably like you know picking on them and and uh, like bullying them and I think that's something that we all forget about when we talk about this transgender stuff is like it is not an easy path to pick this stuff. And I think that if they had a choice, they wouldn't choose this. It is literally something they feel like on a, bi- like on certain, on a certain level, it's like, I, I, something is wrong with my biology. I'm not, I'm supposed to be something else. Um, considering, right. considering how bullied and oppressed they are and, and still gay people too. Like they're definitely still, uh, you know it, they're treated unfairly um i don't think anyone would choose that like to say that it's a choice i hate when people think that it's a choice to say that is like why would you choose that life you why would you specifically and uh directly choose a harder life for yourself i don't think anyone would do that you know right no yeah it, it's absurd and i think the problem is that uh it's hard to understand something you can't relate to at all. Um, yeah. And what you just have to do, like ultimately what you have to do is, is say like, okay, like so whether you believe, you know, ho- however you feel about it. Um, or, or I guess if you're, if you're shitty about it, 
Like, I think the process that you need to go through is, does this person being a man or a woman affect me in any way? Um, yeah. No, it doesn't. And do I believe, like, can I relate to this idea of being stuck in the wrong biology? No, not at all. But why don't I just, like, why don't I just believe them? Like, why would they make that up? Um, it's just it's just one of those situations where you can't relate to it. You'll never be able to relate to it. And you just have to believe it. Like, you just have to. Um, yeah. Like, if someone else is saying it, why? what is the benefit? Like, what's the big con that people think is happening here? Um, that's what, that's really it. I mean, that's what it all comes down to. Uh, that's just what all bigotry comes down to in general is like, especially with sexuality, it's like, what doesn't, it really should make no fucking difference on your life. Like you just want to make these people's lives worse because they're different and you can't understand the way they're different. Yeah. Uh, hold on a second, Sam. Yeah. Hey, I'm trying to record a show here. Are you done? I'm so sorry, everyone. That's so unprofessional. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that you and I basically have the same feeling on it. And I think that in general, who's there? What? People interrupting my show. Fuck. Was Chewie barking at a, a bad guy? I think it's, I think it's just my roommate, Aaron, Aaron Jake. Um, but I think you and I are both egalitarian in nature, which is to say that we don't judge people by, um, like this color of the skin or sexuality. It's, it's more about the content of a character. And so any of that stuff, like y- you being gay doesn't affect me. It doesn't, it doesn't anything to do with my, with my life. I don't care what you do as long as it doesn't infringe on mine or anyone else's rights. Um, and that's what it kind of boils down to. And I think what people what people get bent out of shape about this stuff is it makes it, it like prize on their insecurities. Like that's where bigotry comes in is like, okay, if this person can be can fall in love with men and it's it's just a normal human being, does that mean it can happen to me? And then they freak out about that and they, you know, take it out on everyone around them. Um, that's kind of how I see it is it's always just it is a mark of your own securities, the stuff that you get uncomfortable about. And, um, you know, I think everyone is susceptible to that, but then when, when it becomes bigoted and hateful and spiteful and mean and vicious to other human beings, that's when there's a problem. Right. Yeah. Like if you have insecurities like that, you internalize it and you develop a drinking problem. Like that's how, you're supposed to deal with stuff like that. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's just tricky. And that's, that's the thing. Like, that's something I truly can't really relate to either is, is just straight up bigotry. Like I don't, it is 100% baffling to me how it could fucking matter to anybody who anybody else is. It's just, it's just, it is the sort of thing where it's like, it's like, I have my way of doing things and I think I'm right. But when someone else comes along and starts doing something differently and then it it feels like a personal challenge, like you're directly challenging, like, oh, well, well, I do it differently and I'm still just as happy. And it's just this sort of thing where, especially when people grow up in small towns, like there's a lot of pride that goes along with that and people mix that up and everything. Um, 
not and and I'm again speaking from a place where I I never grew up in a small town or anything. I'm just kind of assessing from the few times I've interacted with such places, but uh you know, I think it's it's harder when you don't grow up in a place like like the city where you and I have grown up in uh where there's more diversity and you interact you just interact with more people and you just kind of realize that it's like oh it's, it doesn't matter you know it's just yeah it is all, interesting we're all trying to make it being uh living in colorado there's like it's very white um and there's like this really casual racism that comes from a place of like you know there's very few black people in fort collins and so you know people just have assumptions about black people because of you know media or whatever and it's like it's like, oh yeah, well, there's no crime here because it's pretty white, and it's like, you know, that's a really super shitty thing to say, but it's like, it's just this assumed racism that's like, I think actually more damaging than like the crazy Confederate flag waivers uh, from Richmond because those people were crazy. Like you would, it was very easy to write the things they were saying and doing off as, you know, a crazy bigot, but yeah. this like really casual racism is where. I think it's actually far more damaging because then it just gets passed on and absorbed way easier. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I had something I was going to say, Oh, here's something that bothers me about bigotry in general is a big problem with it is like people misappropriate their distaste and their hate. Um, I was used to work with this guy who was like a creationist and a huge homophobe and he was bartending and uh, a gay guy sat at the bar and was like super flamboyant and Mm -hmm. like obnoxiously flamboyant. Um, And afterwards the kid talked to me. He's like, God, he's like, I'm just, I'm going to be sick. Like, I can't believe that faggot talked to me all night and stuff. And I was like, what? I was like, what is wrong with you? He's like that guy that he's just, I just hate gay people. I hate the way he was acting. I was like, dude, I was like, that guy was annoying as shit. I was like, it has nothing to do with the fact that he fucks men. Like, he was obnoxious, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, yeah. you don't hate that guy because he's gay. You hate him because he sucked. Like, yeah. and that's the problem. Like, thugs are often super annoying. Not, and, and they're, but they're also often black. And so it's like this connection of like, oh, black people are annoying. It's like, no, this particular individual sucks. And you don't have to, like, it's not because of who they are or it's not because they're skin color or anything. Like, it's because they're, they are annoying and people just project it all. Like, I always remember in school, on like middle school, there was this Jewish kid. uh, He was a very Jewish kid. I don't know, like, Orthodox he had. He wore yarmulke and stuff. And uh, he was annoying. He was an annoying guy and it had nothing Mm -hmm. to do with his Judaism. But because he wore a yarmulke, people made fun of him all the time. And it was just like, yeah. that's, that's what you're going to make fun of him for. Like this guy's a fucking prick. Just like, there's so many more things you can call him out on that are real and substantial versus the fact that he wears a fucking circle on his head. Like, yeah, it, it's just that frustrates me because I'm someone that hates a lot of people. Like I'm, I'm an overall positive person, but I'm also, uh, you know, cynical and elitist. And so I, it bothers me to see people that don't even understand what they don't like about someone. Like there's, there's plenty of things to not like about everyone. And if those things happen to go in line with like a cultural, you know, or an identity that tends to belong to a certain group of people, then 
it just all gets lumped in and it's like, no, you can just, you can just hate, you can just hate because someone sucks. It doesn't have to be anything more than that. Um, and it usually isn't like, yeah, I just remember that being like, dude, that, that guy was awful and nothing to do with the fact that he was gay. He just was awful. And that's your, it's okay to think someone's awful. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how I would would have I wouldn't have responded probably as well as you did or at least the way you make it sound here. Um, I get real bent out of shape with stuff like that when people have problems with homosexuals or black people just because they're homosexuals or black or or Hispanics or any anything that's differentiating from being a white American. Like America is great because it is diverse. Like, and I don't see how you could think otherwise. Um, and it's only getting more and more diverse. I'll, I'll say, I'll rephrase that personally. America's diversity is great. Um, yeah. But I don't think, I, I, I don't think I'm willing to say America's great. I'm not a huge fan at this point in time. Um, um, yeah, I guess that's a, that is a, conver- a conversation for another time. We could, we could delve down that real hard. And I'd like to get some facts to, to have a conversation about that. Facts have no place in a political conversation. That's right. Um, we don't have to get too deep into it, but did you see the uh, the cough uh, or whatever the fuck it was that Trump like mistweeted? I did. It was ridiculous, but I'm already like tired of reading about it. I'm so tired. I was tired of it immediately because it's just like whatever. He. There are so many other things that you could uh, skewer this guy on that are real things, like policy wise, like. Why are you even? Why are we wasting our time with this? And, well, and this and is yeah. a place where we definitely disagree because I've voted for Trump and I am glad he won. Um, oh, okay. And so we'll <laughs> we'll have to get into this conversation another time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't have to go any deeper than that. I just thought it was. I, I just think that shit is silly. Like people that make a big deal out of like Trump ordered a steak well done and he eats it with ketchup. Who fucking cares? There's nothing to do with him being a president at all. Yeah, it's just a big circy jerk. Yeah. Um. Uh, all right, I'm ready. That was unexpected. Um, yeah. and it felt kind of weird. I really that's. I feel like we're talking out our butts more than normal. Um, that's what. I, I, second. I feel like that this in this particular situation, I personally feel like I'm talking out of my ass more than normal. Um. And it's not yeah. like, I don't know. It's just a, such a sensitive topic for so many people that it makes me afraid to talk about it, which is probably silly. Yeah. Um, and it's also like, I sort of feel the way like it, I'm not, I'm not personally affected by it. So I don't, I'm not a fan of legislation that prevents anything, but it's also like, it's not something I feel like I need to have a strong opinion on other than, yeah, let people do what they want. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's what it boils down to for you and I. Yeah. Um, so anyway, here's what I'd like to talk about, Keith. Um, there's a, a branch of nerdism that we've not touched, uh, I don't believe so far in our podcast and it's something I'm very passionate about and mm-hmm. that is board games. Yeah. Um, I love board games. It was a few years ago. I've always loved playing games, but it's always been like party games with my family and stuff, um, yeah. or like Pictionary with my friends. It's always been very social games. Um, and a few years back, my cousin got this game called Zombicide for free 
mm-hmm. and uh, it looked pretty complicated. And so he loaned it to me so that I could learn how to play it because I'm I'm a I'm like a rules guy. I like rules. Um, yeah. And so I read through the rules. Me and a couple of my friends played it, and we really liked it. But it was really complicated. By far the most complicated board game I've ever played. Um, or had ever played at that point. Uh, we've definitely upped the ante. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's a cooperative game. You're all playing together as survivors, and you're trying to accomplish some goal, uh, walking through the streets and through buildings, and there's, like, waves and waves of zombies coming at you. It's got a lot of randomness. You're rolling a lot of dice for your attacks. So it was super fun, and we really liked strategizing together. Like, the cooperative nature was so unique. We'd never played a game like that before. That got me looking into more and more board games, Um, and then I sort of, I think I took a little break, but then over time I started collecting more games and it's just, you know, there's so many to read about and you you read and certain people like on, on Reddit and stuff, they'll, they'll just describe a game in such a way where you realize like, I think I'd love this game. Like the way they just talked about it makes it sound really cool. And you read reviews and there's this really great community. Um, but I've gotten really into it and I own a lot of games at this point. I probably have like 50 or something. Um, and I've I've tried to spread the love to a lot of my friends, and I know you guys in Richmond at, at times have had like a weekly game group. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's still going on at the moment or what, but uh, I guess probably not since the person who hosted it uh, had a baby recently. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I just love board games, and I thought we could chat about them a little bit. If that doesn't sound too boring to you, Keith, doesn't sound boring at all. Um, so. Let's start with like as a kid, what were the board games that you played? Just to like create some disparity here, because when we talk about board games, we're not talking about probably a lot of the games that people played as children. So like, <laughs> what were the board games that got you as kid? As a kid, um, as a kid, there's this game called Hero Quest that my brother had. That was sort of like it was almost like Dungeons and Dragons. I remember playing that a bit, and mm-hmm. then but it was a little too complicated for me when I was playing it, and then yeah. it sort of. Uh, went away um i i liked all the the kid like when i as a kid kid i liked the kitty board games there was this game yeah. called like the grape escape or something like that and you'd make these mm-hmm. play-doh grapes and they had to try to like, make their way to the end but they there were all these different things that would squish them like a big foot and just a bunch of weird shit like that um i i liked like crossfire like the old dexterity you're not dexterity but yeah you're like shooting those ball bearings like i didn't as a kid i just sort of played whatever games you know i i remember not really ever enjoying monopoly i don't think there's ever been a time in my life i've liked monopoly um in high school and a little bit outside of high school me and some of my friends got really into risk we played risk a ton yeah um and that i think was when it when i started like paying attention and liking games but it still was pretty basic like it was just risk is what we played most of the time yeah what about you um as as a kid, we played Monopoly a few times, my family, but we always had, like, pieces missing, and I think we had a bunch of money missing, too, so there was lots of, like, just, uh, like, notebook paper with, like, 100 written on it, and I hated that because <laughs> it was, like, I liked the colored money as a kid. I just liked right. I just I, I just like color, so um, I never understood how to play the game. I just always wanted the, the most money I could get, and I always lost. Like, I, I, don't, I still don't even think I understand how to play the game because I just haven't played it as an adult. Um, and then lots of like really random board games, like, like, uh, like shoots and ladders and Candyland and, uh, yeah, I think I, I played all those too. Yeah. So nothing, nothing out of the ordinary for a kid. I never played risk. 
when I got a little older. I think once I started getting into video games, I just didn't play board games at all. And yeah. I, I mean, I started playing video games pretty young. Uh, so and, and I didn't get back into them until we started playing do-it-yourself Pictionary. And, uh, and then when you started uh, with your board game thing recently. Um, yeah. We, we used got. to... Our friend group used to play do-it-yourself Pictionary all the time. It was like our go-to drinking game. Yeah. And uh, the way you play, uh, for those who haven't played, um, a friend of mine like taught it to us. Not that it needs to be taught necessarily, but you have to have uh, at least six people, and you basically split into three or more teams. Um, each team has a bowl in front of them and the, they spend, you spend like, you know, a half hour or so just writing down anything you can think of and putting it in your bowl. And then as the game plays, um, the, basically all of the teams except for one will draw a word out of the one team that is not playing's bowl. And they all have to race to see who can, one, one person on each team draws it and they race to see which team can guess it the fastest. So it's always frantic. The words are ridiculous um, because you're making them up yourself, and it's really fun. There's, like, no time limit. Um, yeah, it's just a blast. I, I, I still, even though I've gotten very into, like, real serious board games, I still love DIY Pictionary. Yeah, it it is something that feels personal to us, and we've always had, like, a really good time. And, and just, like, the, the the fun of the pregame when you're making up all the words and putting them in your jar. And you're laughing. And, you're all, like, la- you laugh, and then your teammate goes, what? And you show them what you wrote, yeah. and they laugh. And then you forget about it, and then two hours later, someone pulls it out of your bowl, and they're like, are you fucking kidding me? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, we've had some that have been like entire phrases and, and people had to like recite them. Those are, those can be really good, but some of those can be super annoying. Uh, and we do build into it a, a veto. If all of the artists, uh, uh, unanimously agree, they don't want to write whatever's on the paper or draw whatever's on the paper. You'll do a redraw. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's always that one holdout. That's like, I think I can get it. I think yeah. I can get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's always a good time. It's never, just like, nah, that was fine. It was, it's always a really good time. Uh, yeah. So I recommend that uh, everyone play at least your own variation of that game at some point with your friends. Uh, yeah, and all you need is a you need a couple bowls and some paper to rip up and pens. Easy peasy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I love DIY Pictionary. And that does remind me, in high school, we also, uh, a group of us got really into regular Pictionary. And we played that a ton. And that was mm-hmm. before we started playing DIY. But uh, me yeah. and my friend Hugh, uh, we went on like an eleven-month winning spree with regular Pictionary, and nobody could touch us, and it was very satisfying. Yeah. And I think it was uh, Tessa and Brian that finally took us down. Ugh. But those two. Now I'm marrying Tessa. So who who got the last laugh? <laughs> um. God, God got the last laugh. Oh, good old God. Anywho, um, let's, we don't have, so let's talk about, I say first, let's talk about my favorite board game. I think, yeah. it's, is it your favorite board game too? Cosmic or, Encounter? Yes. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It's, pretty, it's, it's most all of ours favorites, I think. Yeah. It's, I think of all the one all the complicated ones that we're getting into, it seems complicated when you're trying to explain it to somebody, but it really is just pretty simple. Um, and it's fun. Like the, it has a base set of rules and then you get like, you get a superpower that basically 
everyone has these really nuanced powers that break the game in some way. So everyone is breaking the game differently and it's, it's always a blast. Yeah. And that's, that's what makes it such a phenomenal game. I think is that every game you play is, it, it does have the same core, but yeah. it, it, it's a completely different game. Um, and, uh, it's unbalanced in nature, but it, the way you play it balances itself out. Like just bare bones, essentially the way the game plays is each player is in control of an alien race and they have, uh, their five home planets in front of them. And, uh, you have these little plastic spaceships and your goal, the way you win the game is by landing at least one spaceship on, uh, five other planets. So not your own, but, uh, but any five other, other planets, um, and you do that by basically playing cards out of your hand. They have a number, that number, whoever has the higher number wins, but then there's all sorts of cards that manipulate that number. There's cards that change things that move ships around, um, that do all sorts of crazy shit. And then on top of that, uh, your alien power, uh, will completely change the way you play. Like there's one called the loser and the loser has the ability, uh, after you play the cards, he can switch the way it works. He, the loser can, everyone plays their cards and the loser says, I choose to lose this round. And then, uh, the lower card wins. Um, and that's like a very basic version, but it's a way that the gameplay is completely differently because you all of a sudden want to keep low value cards in your hand because you, the loser might do it, but the loser might play your mind and he might, he might use his ability every time. And, and then all of a sudden not use it and you're expecting him to. And so you play the lowest cards you have and he just kills you. Like, uh, but that's one of the game comes with 50 different aliens and there's enough expansions out there. I think there's like, I think at this point there's over a hundred more aliens. So like if you have all the expansions, there's like, you know, 150, 175 aliens. So every game is just so, so different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so much goddamn fun. Like I'm, I'm very much expecting us to get to play it a little bit, uh, in the coming weeks. I hope so. Yeah. Um, so that's absolutely my favorite game. It's Tessa's favorite game. I think it's yours, Rogers, like all of us. Um, yeah. And, uh, and they keep putting out expansions for it. Like they're still putting out expansions for it. Yeah. They just released one in December and I, you know, they could stop at any time and it would be completely reasonable, but I also will not complain if they keep putting them out. Um, yeah, I still don't actually have the latest one, but it's so much fun to open them and just read through all the alien powers and think yeah. about how they'll fuck the game up. So real quick before we continue, uh, you are cutting out for me real bad on uh discord okay um i'll move the mic closer to my mouth how's that sound it sounds better okay and i'll edit that little part out um, okay um so, so yeah i think cosmic is both of our favorites uh what are what are some other ones that have that you've kind of i would say like what is your top five that you've been um playing? pandemic i think it will always be one of my favorite board games um yeah Pandemic. That's an easy one to get into too. It is. And and it's a cooperative game. Um so it and basically there's a there's these four diseases that are taking over uh the world. It's like a map of the world and you are these scientists trying to stop the spread of the disease and you have to like find cures and all sorts of stuff. Um but uh it's cooperative and the thing is cooperative games are very fun for me but 
there is uh there's an issue with them that a lot of people will discuss and it's it's this concept of what they call quarterbacking where since all the like everyone's working together most of the time all the information is known you'll have the louder more strategic teammates basically bossing everyone around mm-hmm. um and it's been definitely a problem in our group like Tess is not nearly as strategic as like me and Tim are um and we get we'll get really into it and we'll just start like okay you do this and go here and then we'll do this and go here and she just eventually like shuts out of it because she doesn't feel like she's playing she just feels like she's moving the pieces where we tell her to you know which is completely understandable um but pandemic is one where we've played it enough together that she still generally enjoys it and i i love it um it's it's a very very tight not too complicated um co-op game and it's definitely one of my favorites we have been playing over the last year or so through what's called pandemic legacy which is really cool it's basically pandemic but as you play the story unfolds and new things happen um i'm just gonna give like a tiny spoiler for the beginning of the game just Mm -hmm. a word of advice to everybody um like after your first game basically or like partway through your first game one of the diseases mutates and it can't be cured anymore and it like completely shifts focus of the game like in perpetuity um so yeah. the next time you play it's like this one disease is uh is uncurable and so the best thing you can do is just like try to mitigate it while you work on curing the other diseases and there's like new objectives pop up and you get new characters um and there's just like all these crazy ass surprises um we didn't get to finish it and i don't know if we're going to um because two of the people we were playing with are about to move to hawaii Oh dang! Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, we'll have to figure something out because we we got pretty close. We're we're probably only like four or five games from the end. Mm. Um, but it's amazing. Like playing a game that that changes over time and tells the story is a really amazing thing. Um, so that's Pandemic in general is one of my favorites, but Legacy is incredible. And if you are into playing a game and have like a, the same group that you can play with sort of consistently, then that's the absolutely i think one of the best things you can do um i i really like this card game called android netrunner but i can't really get anybody to play it with me because it's really complicated yeah um i think you'd like it too we talked about it a lot but it's just like it'd take us a couple hours just for you to really know what was happening um android netrunner is the hardest rule book i think i've ever read um it's very it's just really dense and I use a ton of terms that it makes up, and so it's really hard to follow what's happening. But it's a really cool game. It's a two-player card game where one person uh, is playing this corporation, and they lay down cards face down that represent like servers on their computer that are protecting data. And then the other person plays as a hacker, and they lay down cards face up, and that represents like their machine, their computer essentially, and what they're capable of doing. And yeah. then they take these what are called runs at the servers and they try to get through all the protection on the servers to the data at the bottom. And they're looking for particular pieces of data. And, and essentially like the corporation is trying to research that data. And if they get it researched, they score the points. And if the uh, runner or the hacker steals the data, then they get the points. And so it's like the first one to get to a certain amount of points wins the game. Um, but so like the corporation will like heavily protect this one server and then the runner will like build up their abilities so that they can attack this particular server. Um, but everything's face down on the server until it is re- like, until the runner approaches it. And so then all of a sudden, like 
the corporation will show that all their protection was bullshit and they the runner gets through super easy and uh the data they're protecting is a trap and it like hurts the runner um so yeah, there's, so there's like, a bit of like uh there's a bit of uh like like poker like showing your poker face. oh yeah there's this huge mind game to it a huge yeah. mind game um and it's it's i've never played it enough to get any good at it um but it's just really cool like that asymmetrical gameplay is awesome um yeah so basically one character is defending and another is attacking exactly um and so the other player who's defending can try to you know they can set traps um but yeah they are they're just trying to protect themselves and get their shit researched before the runner steals all their stuff that Uh, is interesting because you know typically whenever you play a card game you are playing you're both playing the same game uh and you're playing by the same set of rules so like for instance in magic like there's there's no difference in the way that i play from another player outside of like the strategies might be different but in this game you're very much if you if you are the hackers your whole style of play is different from the corporations, which is like mostly di- like stagnant defense. Yeah, and um, you have I've you have a heard different of a card game that way. You have a completely different um, deck of cards. Like there are runner cards and there are corp cards, and they are different. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just a blast, and it's it's cool. Like the beginning of the game really favors the runner because the corporation hasn't had a chance to set up too many defenses, and so like the runner should try to be really aggressive early on. And then the end of the game favors the corporation because they've had time to like build up their servers and stuff. But everything the corporation has is a server. So uh, the runner can hack their hand and steal cards out of their hand. The runner can hack their deck. The runner can hack their discard pile. Like So the corporation has to protect everything they have. Um, it is really cool. And I, like I've said many times, I think you would really like it. And I would love to play with you someday, one of these days. Oh, it's- I would too. Yeah, I I think uh, we tried one time, and I I just couldn't like the rule set was so complicated that I I found myself getting lost. So I yeah. I would have to I would have to take the deep dive one day, and it's gonna have to be at some time when we're not on a, a time crunch because right. the last time we tried, I was I was just only out there for a few days, and yeah, it's not like we had a lot of plans, but it it wasn't like we had all the time in the world to learn this yeah, game. Yeah, for sure. It. Um. um yeah, we were distracted and stuff. Yeah, that's... Um, oh, and also, fun fact, it was originally designed by Richard Garfield, the designer of Magic the Gathering. I do love me some magic. Um, and that's what's so cool, too, is it's like it's probably the most different card game I've ever played for Magic, and it was designed by the same guy, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, every other like you know designer card game I've played, I feel like definitely has a lot of flavors of Magic in it, even if it's pretty different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another a cool thing about this game too is if you're familiar with Magic, like you buy booster packs, you get randomized cards, and that's sort of how you build out your deck. Or you buy cards from other people who got them from randomized booster packs. Mm-hmm. Um, but Netrunner, every couple weeks, they come out with a pack of cards, and it, it comes with three of every card that's in it because that's the most you can have in a deck, and it is the it is a set uh, set of cards. So they. They put out you know a handful of cards into the world every few weeks, and if you wanted to, if you were a serious player and wanted to make sure you could build every deck, like you could do everything possible, you just buy this one set, and like every two weeks you buy a set of cards and you have everything you could ever want. So there's no sort of there's no, there's no gambling involved like there yeah. is with booster packs. Which to be fair, the gambling aspect of booster packs is the main reason I like Magic. Um, yeah. In a way, it is a real life version of those like uh, 
freemium methods that uh, have creeped their way into games from yeah. mobile gaming. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then lastly for game for board games, let's talk about a game that you and I have played together two times. Um, mm-hmm. It is a little old game called Twilight Imperium Third mm. Edition. Yes. Um, and tell the people how long our games took, if you remember. Almost the entire day, I would say. We had to. I think the t- what, the first time we played it, we had to play it in a span of two days because it took us forever to learn how to play it first time. Yeah. And then to get into the swing of it. And then the second time didn't take it as long. We still had to like re relearn the rules a little bit. Yeah, because it was like a good almost a year later, I think. Yeah, but we got we got back in the swing quick, and I think we finished it the same day we started it. But man, it takes hours and hours, and it's just like there's a lot to do, and everyone has their own specific objectives. But it is this big space opera of a game where you you all play as like different factions, and and like uh, if I remember correctly. Like um, Cosmic Encounter, whatever race that you are playing the game as, they have like specific advantages and disadvantages. Um, Am I correct? Yes. So it just is like when you look at it, it is the nerdiest shit ever because there's the board and there's all these pieces and then you have your own personal scorecard with these weird alien looking things on it. And it's just a lot of information to take stock of. Uh, But goddamn, if it wasn't so fun it it is fun it is not the sort of thing i want to play all the time no. but it is it is fun to break out on a special occasions and especially like if everyone is into it it's awesome if if there's someone that's not as into it i think it it's one of those things it's like oh well, why are we even doing this you know yeah. but we're, we're when, the two times we played i felt like everyone was pretty into it yeah for sure um and yeah it's so to be more specific, I believe our first game took about 18 hours of playtime, mm-hmm. and our second game took 15. Um, yeah. And our second game was with one less person. So our first game was you, me, Tessa, Roger, and Brooks. And then our second game was you, me, Roger, and Brooks, because it was when I traveled to Richmond. I, I It was my carry-on. Um, yeah. I packed it into a briefcase. <laughs> um, it's a giant fucking game. Like I'm pretty sure that yeah. it weighs like eight pounds um, with all the yeah. shit I have. But yeah, it's uh, it's an experience, and that's the thing. Like it, it manages to actually accomplish the feeling that I think a lot of big board games go for, and it feels yeah. epic. Like it feels like this fucking epic thing that you and your friends are doing together, and you remember it. Like the second game we played, I remember um, basically there, there's this big board. It's a, it's space, and there's some of the spaces have planets on them, and planets have resources. And you control this alien race and like you have all of these different, different little model spaceships that represent different things. Um, And so you can focus on your military to strengthen yourself or you can focus on like politics to try to get like political gain or research technology. Like there's a bunch of different avenues you can go down. But I remember um, the, the, the ultimate goal of the game is you like score points by accomplishing these objectives and whoever scores a certain amount of points first wins like most games. Um, but, uh, it was either you or Brooks. One of you invaded the other one, uh, to try to take this planet. Cause you like, it was probably one of your little personal objectives was to get this, like hold this planet or something. And, uh, 
let's say you invaded Brooks and Brooks was not having it. And so then she invaded you back. And basically the rest of the game was the two of you building up your military might so that you could mount invasions on one another. You both completely gave up any hope of winning um, and focused all of your effort on fighting with each other. And that was, we spent 15 hours and that was like what you guys decided to do. But that was the, <laughs> that was the story of that game for you guys. And yeah. it was awesome. Like, that's what I love. I remember one thing I read about the game before I got at this. It sounded really cool. was like, it looks like this giant war game. Um, but the fact is like war in the game is very expensive. And so if you get into a war, it costs you a ton of shit and it makes it a lot harder it, for yeah. you to accomplish other stuff. And so it does. it's very like, you know, as, as to the best of my knowledge, like it's, it's realistic in that sense. Like you want to have a, a, a mighty military so that people don't attack you, but you don't actually want to attack anybody unless you have to, because it's so costly to the rest of your economy. Um, and that's the thing, like having to weigh those I, decisions throughout the game, like, and I'm pretty sure the game is like 12 rounds. Like it's not, it's not that you do the same thing, and it goes by and you do the same thing over and over and over. It's like each round takes for fucking ever because there's so many decisions to make. Everybody sort of has to pick what they're going to do that round. And people can only do like only one person can do a certain thing. And so you like you pick what you're doing and then you sort of go around and resolve it. Like it's just so much fun. I'd love to play that again sometime, but it is it's a huge time investment. And everybody has to be 100% on board. Like, you don't want to get six hours in that game and then have someone go on board. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, that would just would ruin the day completely. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like setting aside time to do some mushrooms. Yes. You, you got to make sure that you're in the room with people that you like. You're in a, you're in a, a space that feels safe or that you're at least familiar with. And that you must you must make sure that for at least eight hours or however long that you have no responsibilities, you are squared away, you're good. Yes. Um, it's a little bit like that, except that, you know, it's not nearly the same thing tripwise. Uh, but it is... Uh, it, I, one of the things I like that you keep saying when we play the game is like, oh, the Cold War that's happening right now, the tension's so high. Yeah. That cold, that cold War that does happen where you... You are making moves and you're promising that nothing is happening, but the people really don't believe you and like making alliances and stuff. And well, that feeling when you like move your troops from one border to another, because the person on your left, you and them just made an agreement and then you move the troops to the right and you look at them and you're like, if you fucking fuck me on this, like there's just this terror, this fear of like, should I really trust you? Like, yeah. And I, I love that feeling. And that's that's the feeling. There's that feeling and risk, but it's so much minor because when they fuck you, it, you just throw some dice in a box and then yeah. you move on. But this is like, you know, there's it's so really, much more to it. It's really personal, too. Because not only that, you're playing this game with people that you've known for fucking ever. Yeah. And you just don't know. You don't know what's going on up there in the yeah. brain pieces. So, And it's a bit of a mind fuck of, of like, we are friends. Like, we are friends, right? And then they will betray you at a moment's notice for resources. Yeah. And yep. I mean, I, I'm a hypocrite because I'm the one that went fucking ham on that board. I, are you? I, I couldn't remember if it was you that... Uh, I think it was me that instigated it. Yeah, but I, I just I remember loving that because then the race was me and Roger. And me and Roger, like, you know, we had a heated a heated battle ourselves, but it wasn't like 
it wasn't so much military it was like expansion and that's so that yeah. game actually is what's referred to as a 4x game uh, yeah. which stands for and i hope i can remember all of them um expand exploit exterminate explore i believe mm-hmm. um and that's you know that's exactly what that game is like you really you sort of decide what you want to focus on like all the ships are so cool you make these little star bases you make little fighters you make ground troops you make big fighters you make these huge warships you even make fucking death stars in this game yeah um, but you have to like research the technology in order to be able to do it and there's this branching technology tree like and like it's all the same type of shit we like in video games except there's something so fun to me about the about the tangibility of moving taking my hand and moving these pieces around um and holding the shit and like having this cardboard i don't know that's i love video games obviously but there's there's something about board games i've played digital versions of board games and it's just not as much fun like the the tangible the tangible nature and the necessity to have your friends sitting with you uh i think is is what makes them so great like they are they're incredibly social activities yeah, there's nothing like the sweet look in someone's eyes when you've just betrayed them. And yes. it's not something that can be replicated in a video game. You have to be there looking someone in the eye intimately before you cut their throat. Oh, yes. Um, so Twilight Imperium, not for the weak of heart, but an amazing experience. And even if we only played those two times, it was worth the money I spent on it. Yeah, I would say so. I th- I I can't imagine that we won't play it again. I, talk, talking about it now, I'm remember I'm getting like flashbacks of of it and you know, the worst part about like you buy a lot of board games or like we have people in our front group that buy buy a lot of board games. And the worst part is like learning a complex game like that and then the next time we want to play something else and we have to learn a whole another set of rules and that's that's kind of what's all putting to to me with learning new board games where it's like, well, why don't we just play the one that we already know? <laughs> like, yeah. And, but it's, and, and there's some, there's so many board games out there and it's not a guarantee that everyone you play will stick with you. Like there, there's this one that, uh, Brooks and Roger like to play. Uh, fuck. What is it called? Um, seven wonders, I think. Yeah. yeah. Seven wonders. I still like, I cannot get a hold on that game at all. And I, I feel like it, um, I should like it, but there's just something about it where it's like, it's not, it's not that it's not speaking to me. It's that I just am not understanding it. I'm not understanding a certain part of it, the way it plays. So that's a little frustrating. Um, I want to throw an honorable mention and it's not something that I would ever wholeheartedly recommend to people, but I, I just like the idea of it is a uh, betrayal at house in the hill. Um, my game has the potential to be fun but I find so few scenarios actually play out to be satisfying. That's the like thing. You, yeah. You could play that game for a while. And, and the the whole idea is like, you're a group of people exploring a house and that at some point in your exploration, something called the haunt kicks in. And the haunt is one of 50 scenarios that completely changes the way you're playing the game now. And a lot of them have one character, one person that's playing betray everyone else. And they become like a villain character um, but there's a lot of really unfair scenarios that make it really hard for the survivors to win and really easy for the betrayer or the villain to win. Um, 
So there's a good chance you could spend a lot of time playing that game and it not even end up being fun. So that's why yeah. I can't recommend it, but I do want to shout it out because I like the idea of it. I, I'm with you on that. Like I was really excited about that game before I played it, and I think the first player or two I did enjoy it. But it's just like the the first part of the game, exploring this mansion. You're genuinely like you're just randomly walking around and and drawing cards and like rolling dice, and then, and, but you don't know why or what you're looking for. And then the haunt happens, and it's like hopefully you found some good stuff, um, and it's like. There's always this, there's always for me, there's always like some rule discrepancy. And then like someone, one of the groups has to basically reveal something they weren't supposed to reveal to figure out how it works. Like, mm-hmm. and it's just, yeah, it, it ends up being a not very satisfying gameplay um, for me. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of over it as well. It, did, it has a really cool concept, but as a, you know, someone who's played a lot of board games at this point, I, it just doesn't really do it for me. Um, yeah. And that's sort of my thought. Seven Wonders, you mentioned like, um basically the seven wonders you have everyone has a hand of cards and you get to take one and keep it and then you pass the hand to your left right and then it's about like collecting certain cards to accomplish certain goals um is that right it's been a while since i played i I think so yeah but so that's a game where it's like it is fun i like that gameplay but then you do that for a few rounds and the game ends and you add up your score and so there's no like what i've learned i need in a game is i need a moment I need at least one moment where like I uncontrollably stand up at the table because I'm nervous about what's about to happen or because I'm excited about what just happened um, or I'm pissed about what just happened. Cause there needs to be some degree of surprise. Like uh, to me, most good board games have an Oh shit moment, you know, where it's like, I can't believe that just happened. But games that are so well structured like that, they can't, they don't have them and they're great games, but they, they just generally don't click with our group. Um, it's not to say that I don't like any games like that. One of my favorites, actually, that I want to give semi-honorable mentions to is a game called Hive. It's a two-player uh, game. It's sort of like chess. You have a bunch of these hexagon tiles with bugs on them. Um, and on your turn, you either place one of those tiles onto the table. There's no board to this game. You're just placing the tiles next to each other, like dominoes kind of. Um you either place a new one on the board or you move one of the pieces that you already have on the board. Um, and each different bug has different movement, uh, rules and your goal is to try to surround your enemy's queen. Um, but it's actually really fun. It's super, it's, it's not very complicated. It's really portable. Um, and it's like super durable. It's just these like Bekelite pieces, like Scrabble towel quality pieces. So it just goes in this little bag and I throw it in my backpack. Like whenever I travel, it's a great travel game. Um, but it's a really fun, like it's super deep. It's really strategic, but, but it's simple enough and it doesn't take very long. And I think that's part of it. I don't like taking a long time with a game and not having any like big, exciting moments. Yeah. I've never played it, but I've heard of it. It's a good one. Cool. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about any more board games? Um, don't think so. I just we actually just got one in the mail as a wedding present and we don't know who oh, it was yeah? from. Um which game? It's called um Thunder and Lightning. Mm-hmm. And it's a two player card game where one player plays as Thor and one player plays as Loki and you're trying to you're like searching through the other your opponent's cards trying to find like each one has like a 
something of Odin's and you're trying to steal it from each other. And it sounds simple, but like a lot of fun. And it's got really cool artwork. Cool. I'm into uh, that. Yeah. It looks really fun. Um, so whoever got that for us, thank you. Um, I just want to drop some things real quick after this board game talk. Um, I'm watching before we started this, I was watching Logan, uh, and I bought the Blu-ray, but it came with the black and white noir version. Excellent. 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 I love that movie. Um, you haven't seen it yet. And I, uh, I estimate you will. Actually, I'm going to give you my digital code so you can watch it whenever you want. But um, I highly recommend it to anyone who likes the superhero genre or that just likes good movies. I, I think uh, I like it. I like it as much as I liked uh, Mad Max when it came out for similar reasons. The, the very, the storytelling and the cinematography and, and just like the, the movie making parts of it. I really like it other than it just being like a comic book film that I was always going to like going in regardless. Right. But I think this is a great, really great Wolverine film. And I think it's actually a good X-Men film too, but you know, Hugh Jackman is front and center as he usually is. And it's good. And I like the black and white version so far. I'm not done with it. But, uh, and another thing is I just saw that uh, Nintendo detailed their Switch online service. Did you see this yet? They detailed the service? Yes. Nintendo Switch online service will be $20 a year, includes classic games. Um, um, shit, no, I haven't seen this. Keith, you got to prep me for this shit. Yeah, dude. Um, well, I just saw it as we were talking, and I'm going to – I'll read it to you real, real quick. Uh, Nintendo confirmed that this monthly plan has indeed changed. Oh, because they've delayed it. It's going to uh, come out in 2018 at some point. Okay. It was supposed to, it's supposed to come out in the summer. But until it comes out, everything that you do online is, is still free. So it's $20 a year. That's a really good price, and I think an appropriate price. I think if yeah. if they were going to make it uh, comparable to Xbox or PlayStation's uh, service, that would have been inappropriate because they don't have nearly as many components as they right. do. Um, so here, I'll, I'll just read this off to you. This is from Kotaku. Jason Schreier wrote this. Uh, this is an update at 950. Uh, Nintendo confirmed that this monthly plan will has indeed changed, telling Kotaku, quote, Nintendo Switch Online subscribers will have ongoing access to a library of classic games with added online play. Users can play as many ga- as many of the games as they want, often as they like, as long as they have an active subscription. So this is in reference to yeah. the like classic uh, Nintendo and Super Nintendo games. Well, uh, and so specifically, the f- the first time they talked about this with their online service, they said that uh, they were specific, and they said that every month you would get a new classic game, uh, some with added online functionality, but you only got it for that month. So now they're changing that, it sounds like, and saying that you have access to all of the games uh, as long as you maintain membership. So that's pretty awesome, actually. I think people are going to be happy mm-hmm. about that. I think yeah, people they... are going to be pissed that you have to maintain membership, that if you stop, you lose it all, um, yeah. which is reasonable. Um, but who are we kidding? Like, I'm going to be a member of Nintendo's online service as long as it exists. Yeah, I mean, so like pretty much if you pay this $20 per year, you have uh, access to a plethora of their classic games. And I mean, like, I don't think, I don't think there's anything to complain about there. I think if yeah. anyone complained, that'd be stupid. Um, 
So they further add, quote, Nintendo Switch Online subscribers will be able to play a wide variety of classic games, including Super Mario Bros. 3, Balloon Fight, and Dr. Mario. More games will be announced at a later date. At launch, the classic game library will include NES games. Super NES games continue to be under consideration, but we have nothing further to announce this time. (laughs) This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. We're thinking about adding the most popular console ever released. Yeah. Um, so yeah. But yeah, it's going to be detailed. the 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 service itself will get you access access to like online play with the the games and like games like Splatoon and and Arms and all that. Uh, and then it's going to be twenty dollars a year. Will launch at some point in twenty eighteen. Playing Switch games online will be free until the service launches. You can get a one-month subscription for four bucks and a three-month subscription for eight bucks. Uh, voice chat and online lobby features won't be available on the Switch itself. Instead, you'll have to use them through a smartphone app that Nintendo says will be launched this summer. Um, quote, our new dedicated smart service app will connect to Nintendo Switch and let you invite friends to play online set play appointments and chat with friends during online matches in compatible games, all of your smart from all from your smart device end quote. That's still really annoying. It is 100% horseshit. Um, I hate it. Did you see today? Hori released, uh, their like Nintendo switch or not released. They showed their switch headset. No, I didn't see that. Um, you gotta take a look at it. So the headset, comes with an adapter mm-hmm. you have to plug the headset and the adapter and then the adapter plugs one cable into your phone and one cable into your switch so that you can have both audio from the switch and voice Dude, chat at the same time fuck that it's so it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous. If, but i have an iphone 7 and it doesn't have a headphone jack oh well then <laughs> you are fucked <laughs> um this is what i'm talking about this shit is so fucked it is. It's bullshit, and I think what I'm probably going to end up doing is buying... Uh, I'm probably going to get, like, a Bluetooth earpiece so that I just have audio, like, you know, I'll have my chat in one, you know, in one ear, but not be, like, blocking out my audio and then just play on the TV. But it sucks, because I've learned, like, from playing Overwatch and stuff, like, I like having my game audio and my and my chat both, uh, both through my headset if I can. But I guess yeah. I don't know. I, it's I've also have liked in the past having it not that way. Um, so yeah. we'll see. Uh, this the headset they they're putting out is pretty cool looking. It's it's like a Splatoon headset, mm-hmm. um, but it's still just ridiculous to have to do that. Um, yeah, I do I don't think even know like what is the thinking behind that? Who in Nintendo thought that was a good idea? Or I, I mean, it probably came from the limitations of the Switch itself. That's the thing. But... I think the reality is they didn't want to bog down the Switch with anything else like they didn't want to have to hold off any of its power in order to handle this, yeah. which is fine. I wish they would say that instead of acting like this is what we want. Like that's what pisses me off is we've talked about yeah. this before. Reggie's like, no one wants to use their bulky gamer headsets that they bought to use. Like I doesn't, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, I will have to read up more on, uh, that online membership, but it sounds like some good changes. Um, good changes for it, I think. Yeah. Um, another thing is, uh, we play Overwatch pretty heavily. Did you see that new lunar map? Yeah, it looks so good. 
Yeah. Um, did you watch the uh, developer update about it? I didn't know. Um, so there's uh, an airlock you can go out and you, it has low gravity. Oh, what? Yeah. Super exciting. I'm all about that. When does that launch? Um, it's on the PTR now, so it'll realistically come out, I'd say, within a week or two. Oh, hell yeah, dude. I'm all about that. It's a, And they said it was an attack map. Yeah, it's it's a it's a new assault map which we haven't had a new assault map since the game launched, so that's also really exciting. Yeah. Um yeah, it sounds like a really cool map and it's like the anti-grav area is like it's like sort of a long flank route. Um, cuz they said they experimented a bunch with like having anti- like low gravity on the entire map and it was mm-hmm. really fun, but it was really gimmicky and it got old pretty quickly. Yeah. Um and this was like they said this is sort of a way to keep it in there but not have it be necessary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for it. Oh, dude, I'm going out there. I'm going out there, and I'm fucking flying around in space, space, oh, yeah. space, 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 space. space. Oh, I'm so excited. Cool, man. All right, um, Keith. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to do an, an Overwatch episode one day. Yeah, we should. I could talk about it for a while, even though I'm terrible at it. Yeah. Um. Well, how you feeling, my friend? I'm feeling pretty satisfied. I feel like I, I awkwardly roped you into a transgender conversation, and I apologize for that. But I don't think we. I think we talked about it. We handled it pretty well. Yeah, um, I don't think we said anything that hasn't been said, uh, yeah. or is really you know that interesting. But those are our opinions now. I guess they're out there. Yeah, and uh, uh, I you know I think I can speak for both of us, and I say that those are our firm opinions, and we'll never change them. Never. I hate changing my opinion. That's the worst. Stupid. Why would you ever do that? Why would you ever consider something to the point of changing your entire understanding of anything? Yeah, that's disgusting. Um, yeah, pretty satisfied. So hit us up on the usual places. Twitter. I am there. Backslash web show. At Double Jump Chump. Also, the show is uh, at Chatisfaction underscore. Sam doesn't have Twitter because he's still trying to figure out which bathroom to go, and it's really confusing for him. Uh, but you could probably find him on Facebook if you're a stalker and you do that sort of thing. So do that. Um, Facebook.com slash Chatisfaction. Hit us up there. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes and Podbean. I should start saying it at the beginning of the show because I don't think a lot of people make it to the very end of the show. So I think this message is being lost on people. Next yeah. week. I'll do it next week. Yeah. I'll do it next week. Uh, but do that. That helps out. You know, It also helps us know what is and isn't working with the show. But so far, there's been zero negative feedback and a little bit of positive feedback. So I'm going to assume that everything we're doing on the show is 100% correct. I think what Keith's trying to say is please give us some negative feedback. Our fragile egos can't handle it, but do it anyway. If if there is any, you know, you can't just say, but you can't just go in there and be like, you suck because then I'll be like, that's not constructive criticism. And then you're like, well, what is constructive criticism? And I'm like, well, you have to, you can't just say you suck. You have to say this is bad for this particular reason. And then I would say that's pretty constructive. How good of you. But if you just say you suck, well, I'll be like, well, that's not helpful at all. How am I supposed to know what sucks or how to fix the fact that I suck? And it just gets confusing. And then anyway, get mad. so I've been Sam Cooksey. <laughs> I'm, I'm Keith. Bye. <laughs>